Hey, how's it going? This is Tyler Murphy, and you're listening to the Lonely Painter Podcast. Uh, today I'm drinking a uh, Columbia Brazil blend from Slate Coffee Roasters out in Seattle. My roommate Josh was just out there, and he, uh, sorry, I feel a little stepped up this morning. Josh was just out there. And there's some plane flying overhead that is so loud. Hopefully that's not picking up too much. I'm going to pause this and see. I could hear it there a little bit. But anyways, we'll keep going. Um, So, let's see. It's Monday. Uh, I don't know what the date is. Monday, January 28th, and let's see, this Friday is Art Walk, so I'm trying to get some new work done before that. Uh, I'd like to have a good portion of the paintings that'll be part of the Portal Show, which I decided is going to open February 21st. Um, I'm going to try to have a lot of them done. Uh, And up on the wall for this Art Walk on Friday, so I'll be working hard this week to get uh, some new paintings uh, up on the wall. I'm really enjoying this uh, portal idea. I just sent an email out to uh, some of the other artists at Montana Gallery describing, uh, doing my best to articulate my thoughts on the idea of portal and uh, to invite any of them to submit a painting, uh, a painting or two uh, that kind of goes along uh, with the with the show, and uh, and then I plan on. My hope is that they're going to uh, write back with uh, some of their ideas on what portal means for them, and that they and then I'll consolidate everyone's uh, thoughts and then and then I'll write that up into a into kind of a final essay that uh, I'll see if I could maybe get it get it into the local paper but uh, at the very least it'll go into the Montana Gallery newsletter and then it'll kind of probably be the starting point for the artist talk that I give uh, on the 21st and I think that I'm also going to have my friend Parker play some songs that night, too, at the gallery. He and I were talking. He just <clears throat> he just uh, played a show at the Yellowstone Valley Brewing Company, which has been closed for the last, oh, eight months, eight or nine months, and uh, remodeled and under new ownership. And I've gone to a couple different shows there now, and just over the weekend, and I really forgot how much live music, uh, especially local live music, really affects me. And I mean, it really inspires me to, uh, especially to see some of my closest friends up on stage uh, doing what what they're best at. And so, yeah, I, I told Parker I was just like... I was feeling a little down 
this last week and and uh, going to his show on Friday night just really um, reinvigorated my my spirit and uh, then I went out painting yesterday <clears throat> I feel like I'm doing better plain air work than I um, than I ever have it's still as always a challenge and and uh, but I think I, I'm, I'm getting a lot better sense of what I'm trying to accomplish as a landscape painter uh, mostly with this idea of portal it's that it feels as though the ground comes right under your feet that you can kind of put your sh yourself in my shoes uh, as a viewer and there's something I think really beautiful about that that like then you can kind of experience the world the way that I experienced it, at least at that moment in time. And <clears throat> looking back through, you know, some older paintings from artists that that I admire, you know, if you look up, especially like Isaac Levitan, a lot of his paintings, he's painting the ground right in front of his feet and the broad, uh, expansive landscape, you know, that flows from that immediate foreground and it really creates that sense of wow I, I completely understand how that day felt right then and there how it felt to be uh, this guy uh, you know living in Russia a hundred years ago I mean in some sense anyways I can understand that even though I know very little about his history or or any of the history over there um, I'm pretty ignorant on that level but <clears throat> there is like this commonality at least between us of I've I've seen moments like that I've not seen that exact landscape but I have seen landscapes here in, in my experience in Montana that remind me of that and in that way I feel a little less alone because Here's somebody else who took took a moment to pause, reflect, and develop the skills to be able to express that kind of a that kind of a scene on canvas. That's pretty cool. So, anyways, that's a little bit of what I've been. what's been inspiring for me as a as a painter to try to um, in that way help make the world feel a little less lonely and let's see today I was thinking there's a couple different things I was thinking I could talk about um, uh, I was thinking I could talk about what causes desire uh, but I might save that for a future episode. I was as soon right when I sat down here today. I saw uh, sitting next to me a couple different books. Uh, I think I read from "Hoping Against Hope" by John Caputo last week a little bit, and then uh, I've also been reading this book by Paul Tillich called "The Courage to Be." So I might flip this open and just. See if there's anything that stick that uh, that's worth sharing with you guys, 
and um, give a little reflection on it. There's when I picked it up a couple weeks ago and dove back into it. Um, what I what a lot of this book or a lot of the chapters that I uh, have been reading in it have been about is actually the difference between fear and anxiety. So Paul Tillich is a kind of an existentialist Christian theologian uh, that really, um, I think, let's see, when did he live? He lived, uh, oh, like 1930s to 60s or 70s or something or so. And uh, a lot of, or uh, Peter Rollins was saying that if you want to have a sense of where Bonhoeffer was maybe going with his work, of course, Bonhoeffer died young in a concentration camp, I think like at the age of 40-something. Um, but kind of towards the end of Bonhoeffer's life, he starts writing about um, what some people call a religionless Christianity. And um, uh, at least according to Peter Rollins, uh, Paul Tillich is would be a good person to look to to see kind of that idea of religionless Christianity kind of fleshed out and and what would that uh, maybe where was Bonhoeffer going with that idea and so he thinks that Tillich is a good place to to try to find that so I won't talk much about any of that uh, about the ideas of religionless Christianity uh, at least today but Tillich does talk, like I said, about the difference between anxiety and fear. And he's drawing upon insights by thinkers like, I think especially Freud and uh, oh, like Melanie Klein and some of the other early psychoanalysis. And really what they, what they say is that uh, anxiety is without object, um, whereas fear has an object. So another way that they say it is that anxiety is the fear of nothing, whereas fear has something to which it can attach. It has something to which it can rise up and, and seek to overcome or could fail to overcome but it has something that it can point to and say, this is the cause of this unrest within me. Whereas anxiety is more the fear of nothing, or at least in the sense that there's really nothing that you can point at. It has no physical object. So then um, he breaks down what these different nothings are. So, which I don't know if I've ever talked to you guys about like, there's a nothing that is nothing, and then there's a nothing that is something, um, which is an interesting thing. Like the nothing, a nothing that is nothing. Quick example would be like kind of like the nothingness that came before your life, you know, before your birth. So the nothingness before your birth. That's kind of a nothing that we don't really ever think about. Or, and, and it doesn't cause much anxiety. But then there's a nothingness that potentially awaits us after this life. Um, you know, the, 
the uncertainty that we can feel toward what happens after this life is a nothingness that insists upon our life, that, that, is, that works on us and, and causes anxiety. And so Tillich says that there's three kinds of anxieties. Now, by the way, also, you know, when I say that, I, I, can, I, I feel that there will be some people who might say, well, I do have certainty of where I'm going after, you know, after this, after this death. But I think, I think the idea is that, well, I, I guess I would challenge that. I think that there's a difference between having faith and having belief. And that you can have, that we can have faith toward something, but belief is something that with it comes also doubt. And separating the two, I'm, I'm not sure is possible. But I don't want to get too stuck on that. But let's just, let's just all agree that there are times in our lives where it feels completely certain that, yes, I, I am certain of my even even for the most religious of a person, that there are times I can imagine where they feel completely certain that that they're going to heaven after this after this life, and then that same person though I would imagine experiences moments where where they're they are anxious about it and they do feel some anxiety towards that and they go you know maybe what I believe is just a product of you know my upbringing and is is any of it true and so like that foundation starts to crack a little bit and for the person that doesn't believe in any afterlife at all or or thinks that um, religion is completely stupid they might find themselves at times being grateful to something beyond themselves for the good things in their life and so you know in that sense their their certainty and that that this life is all that there is um, wavers somewhat there so we're that it's it's a, we're a little more fluid I think in maybe in our beliefs but faith faith to me would be a different thing but uh, but that would take a while to maybe parse out the difference there um, <clears throat> but Tillich to get back to Tillich, Tillich talks about the difference between anxiety and fear, and he says that there basically are three different kinds of anxiety. That there is the anxiety of non-being, which I've kind of been talking about, the anxiety that comes as a result of knowing that we are going to die. Uh, he calls this the anxiety of uh, fate and death. I think that's I think that's what he calls it. Um, and he says that these are ontological. This is an ontological uh, anxiety, um, which means that it is just hard-baked into being a reflective being. Uh, so anxiety of death and fate. And then a second one is the anxiety of guilt and condemnation, which is, I would say, is like this questioning, uh, this anxiety that we feel of, will we be judged one day for 
uh, how we acted uh, morally in our lives and are we doing the right moral thing and there's a there's a fear that not only of not existing but of existing and then what happens <laughs> what happens after that um, and so that is and 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 will it be good or will it be bad and does uh, does how I live on this earth determine in, in some way uh, where I'll end up so he says that's common to all people you can't you can't not feel that that anxiety and then he says the third anxiety is the anxiety of meaninglessness and this is maybe the one that I'm most interested in because as Tillich uh, kind of points out it is the anxiety that is probably most present within our within our day and age so what does he mean by the anxiety of meaninglessness I would say you know it's it's this feeling of as we're moving through our lives is what I'm doing with my life the is it the is it worth it is um, Am I going to one day look back and, and wish that I'd gone down a different path? And so even that is, as Tillich would say, it's ontological. It is, is part of being a being, a reflective being. And, and so if these anxieties are ontological, if anxiety is something that is kind of the fear of nothing, then it would make sense that we try to that we're always trying to change that that existential angst, that ontological unrest, and transform it into something that we can psychologically point to and say, this is why. This is why I feel this unrest. And so, in other words, we're always trying to shift that anxiety and turn it into a a fear so that it is with an object in other words I think that this is how this is how this is why we scapegoat because there's something just at the core of being a person that we can't get away from but that we try to always there's something there's an antagonism there's uh, contradiction there's uncertainty and unrest and uh, and that's that's not a pleasant <laughs> that that is anxiety inducing and so we're always trying to you know change it into something and point and point to something that we can that we can say oh this is why I'm not happy this is why things are going poorly for me and, and some of those things might be true, but I think also learning that there is no, there is no final harmony. There's no silver bullet, in other words. There's no, if I just think the right way or read just the right, uh, uh, the right books or uh, get into just the right relationship or get into, you know, a working relationship with the gallery, you know, that you want to work with, or, 
you know, get into just the right amount of shape. There's, there's just, there will always be this fantasy of, of if I could just have this thing, then I would be happy. I would be whole and complete. And I'll probably talk more on, on that idea uh, maybe next week with um, what Lacan calls the um, object cause of desire. But I'll save that for next week. So um, let me pause this real quick and see if I can find anything with Intellic that, uh, that, that I want to share with you real quick. So I'll just read a little bit from, uh, I guess this is chapter three. Uh, let's see how this goes. He says, uh, let's see, so this is pathological anxiety, vitality, and courage. Uh, the nature of pathological anxiety. We have discussed three forms of existential anxiety, which hopefully I've made clear. Like, Real quick to review. So the anxiety of uh, death and fate, the anxiety of guilt and condemnation, and the anxiety of meaninglessness. We have discussed three forms of existential anxiety. An anxiety which is given with human existence itself. Anxiety is the awareness of unsolved conflicts between structural elements of the personality, as for instance, conflicts between unconscious drives and repressive norms, between different drives trying to dominate the center of the personality, between imaginary worlds and the experience of the real world, between trends toward greatness and perfection and the experience of one's smallness and imperfection, between the desire to be accepted by other people or society or the universe and the experience of being rejected, between the will to be and seemingly intolerable burden of being, which evokes the open or hidden desire not to be. All these conflicts, whether unconscious, subconscious, or conscious, whether unadmitted or admitted, make themselves felt in sudden or lasting stages of anxiety. So, in other words, essentially what he's saying is that there is a gap between who I am and who I wish I was, and maybe how the world truly is and how I think it is or how I wish it was. And that dissonance creates anxiety. He goes on to say, we have seen that anxiety tends to become fear in order to have an object with which courage can deal. Courage does not remove anxiety. Since anxiety is existential, it cannot be removed. And then a little further on, he says, anxiety turns us toward courage because the other alternative is despair. Courage resists despair by taking anxiety into itself. Okay, I think that's all for this week. I got to go uh, meet up with uh, my friend Grant. He's going to help me move a big painting with this truck. And, uh, I'm supposed to meet him at 12. I got to jump in the shower real quick. I'll put it in my contacts. And then uh, hopefully I get some painting done today. So uh, thanks for listening, and I uh, hope this is helpful. And be good to yourselves.